Thank you, Brother Caleb. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I believe we have three or four uh, final messages in this series. We've taken our time going through it. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I've thought about this series uh, because it is pretty grave uh, that we've been talking about. It's pretty serious, very sobering, and a little bit heavy. And I wondered about that. You know, sometimes it's nice to have uh, messages and sermon series that are, are just more fun, lighter, a little bit more exhilarating, so to speak. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know, for us as a church, the most important thing is quality, not quantity. We love to have the church building, the auditorium packed out to the gills. But it's more important for you and I to know that we are right with the Lord, trying to follow God. And the Lord said, I will build my church. What's most important is not how many people we have coming. And uh, we have a great number here tonight, had a great number this morning, but thank the Lord for that. But what's most important, what church is about, is not coming to a building where everybody else comes to. Church is about me coming to a place where I know I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to hear from his word. I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to fellowship with believers. And, and really, the quality of our Christian lives is what God values more than anything else. And so as we, as we come to, towards the end of the series, I want you to think about the, the, the heaviness of this. And I want you to balance that out in your mind with recognizing that, that, that God can't do a great work, a deep work, in a shallow heart. He has to have room to work. Now, we looked last time at how David, uh, we started with the, the depth of David's transgressions, down into the muck and the mire. And then we joyfully were able to climb out of the mire and, and rejoice with David when God forgave him. The mountaintop of forgiveness. But now we're going to have to leave the mountaintop and not go back into the mire. Thank God those are not the only two places. Binging and purging. Those are not the only two places to live. It's not the muck and the mire of David's adulterous affair, but neither is it the exhilaration of knowing that God would forgive. Now he has to live in the hill country where farmers who have been forgiven patiently reap what they have sown, looking to God, the giver of all life, looking for his mercy. It's real life. It's normal, routine life. And thankfully, again, it's not in the muck and the mire. But sometimes we, though we would like it to be, it's not always on the mountaintop of rejoicing. Because once those seeds have been sown, we now have to look to God to determine what's going to come up. 2 Samuel 12, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. How be it, that word means notwithstanding, nevertheless, how be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. I have three simple points tonight. First of all, the consequences of sin come regardless of God's forgiveness. 
We saw that David is denounced for his sin. David confesses his sin. David is told that his sin is going to be put away. And then he's given a how be it that connects his forgiveness, present forgiveness, by, with a backward look at his sin. Now, we, we don't want to think about the sin. We thank God that the sin has been forgiven. And we stand presently in, for, if, you have, if you have sought God for forgiveness, he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But here the word, how be it, looks back to sin that is forgiven. Why? It's not that God is looking back at the sin, but the natural consequences of the sin in the past continue in the present and, unfortunately, into the future. God's forgiven the sin, but the byproduct of the sin continues. You know, people a hundred years ago would have been shocked to witness God pardoning David for adultery and murder. The former generation would have said, wow, that's amazing. You know what today's generation is shocked about? That there are continuing consequences, even though God has forgiven. That's what shocks people today. Why? I asked God to forgive me, and I thought God forgave me, and I'm still under the weight of this. How be it? God did forgive. How be it? Don't forget that word. The man will not die, but death will result from its consequences. Isn't that interesting? God preserved David's life, but he did not preserve the life of the child. We rejoice. The Lord saves the lost by his grace. The father welcomes home the prodigal son. You know, sometimes people come back to church and and they're afraid of what people are going to say. I, I, please, please, if, if you ever get to a place where you're backslidden, don't be too proud to be thankful for your, the forgiveness that God gives you. you. You don't come back to church and, and immediately have the same connection with everyone in there except for this. You all have experienced the grace of God. Remember that. But if you're not careful, your pride will keep you from that. Because your pride may say, I want what I used to have and I deserve what I used to have before sin. Or your pride may say, well, there's people there and never repented of the sin that I did. I don't, I don't know, but I know this. The father does welcome home the prodigal son. He does. He faithfully forgives. He delights to cleanse anyone who humbles himself. God, God is seeking to cleanse you. But you have to grapple with this truth. Having our sins forgiven does not mean that all the consequences of those sins will come to a halt. This is a tough, tough, tough lesson to learn. The Lord is going to forgive a girl who repents of her fornication. It used to be called fornication. Now it's called an accident. It's fornication. Uh, in, in, in being involved physically before marriage is fornication outside of marriage for any reason. It's fornication. But God will forgive that girl of her fornication. Aren't you glad of that? But now that girl has to raise that child. A drunk 
can say, God, forgive me. I've been a drunk. Nowadays, they're alcoholics, substance abusers. The Bible calls them drunkards. Why? Because they are, they are addicted to drinking. They're addicted to it. God will forgive a man or a woman who repents of their drunkenness. But he's not going to automatically bring the wife back, the kids back. He's not going to give them the job back, necessarily. You see, sometimes we think, if you just serve God, God will, will, will give you everything that you lost. But let me, let me just remind you of this. He may do that, but he's not required to do it. And when you start thinking that God ought to restore your life back to what it was, you start standing in judgment of the very God who forgave you of your sin against him. Be careful. Consequences will follow. Consequences follow. You can see a man standing in front of uh, the judge. Somewhere between the crime and the sentencing, he repented of his sin, he trusted Christ, and he received pardon for his sin. He is now eternally pardoned by Jesus Christ. And as he stands there in front of the judge, the judge doesn't care about that. What's surprising is a good judge, even if he himself is a Christian, cannot allow that this man's salvation, standing in front of him, to be the deciding factor. Why? He's responsible for justice. Justice. That's why he's a judge. Mercy is a part of it, but you can't demand mercy. You request mercy. And you may not get mercy. This man standing in front of the judge may be sentenced to life imprisonment. He may be sentenced to, to, to some difficult sentence he never could imagine before. It's going to drastically alter his life. But what's going to happen is he can't look at that, that man, that judge, and say, you're standing in the way of God. No, that judge is actually the minister of righteousness in his life. God is allowing the consequences of the crime to catch up to him. Nathan here links the forgiveness of David's sin with the consequences of David's sin. And both of them come from a God who is merciful but holy. He is gracious, but he's righteous. Don't try to erase a part of God's character so that your life is easier. Believe me, you want that God who is righteous. You want a God who is holy. Though it may hurt you, it may bring tears to your eyes, you want that God. You need that God. Yes, God delights to wash away sin, but he will not be able to do away with all the consequences of sin until he has made a new heaven and a new earth. That's when all the consequences of sin will be over. Number two, first of all, the consequences of sin will come regardless of God's forgiveness. Now, here's, I don't want to say before we move to the second point, one other thing, and that is this. All of us here, have we stand or sit right now having not received the full consequences of the sin that we've committed. We have, and we thank God for it. Most of us would probably not be alive if we had received the just reward of our, of our sin. But we can't count on God showing mercy in the sense of removing just consequences. If God does, fine. Fine. 
But it's like counting on your bonus from work. A bonus from work, it used to be a bonus. Now it's expectation. Where'd that bonus at? Wait, I thought it was a bonus. No, no, I demand my bonus. <laughs> I demand that you think I'm special. That's what it's become. Hey, why not just put it in the salary and put it in the hourly wage? Sometimes as Christians, that's how we think towards God. I demand the bonus. Hey, just be glad that God's forgiven the sin. If he does give you a bonus, that's extra gravy on top. But hasn't he been good up to this point? He's been gracious to you. He's been merciful to me. So the consequences of sin is not going to remove, uh, or the forgiveness is not going to remove the consequence. Secondly, the consequences of sin will cause others to devalue our God. Notice what he says there. Thou hast given to the enemies of the Lord. Thou hast given to the enemies of the Lord. What did he give? Great occasion to blaspheme. So the deeds that David did here had given God's enemies reason to disrespect God. And God did not intervene to save David's good name, but he is going to intervene to save his good name. He steps in. You know, when David was yielded to God before this, God magnified him and his, and God's name was magnified through David in the sight of all these people. Not only God's chosen people, but the heathens as well, the heathen. They looked at David and they said, he must have a great God. But now, because of David's sin, they look at David and they say, what kind of a God does he serve that allows him to get away with these things? What does that mean? The same, the, the, the same man gave the same witnesses an opportunity to disrespect the same God. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Romans 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You have an opportunity to serve sin or to serve righteousness. When we present our bodies as, as living sacrifices, he can use them to bring honor to himself. God uses our bodies to bring honor to himself. But, but when we give those same bodies to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, there's a lot of harm that's done to the, to the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because men cannot see God. A lost man doesn't know God. The, the, the things of God are spiritually discerned. But a lost man can scrutinize and evaluate the actions of those who claim to know God. Can't see God, but he can see somebody who claims to know God. And that person, you and I, we're teaching the lost world what God is like. No wonder we want to have a lot of Christians who want to be secret service Christians. 
Because we don't want to be held accountable for what people think about God. I can tell you this. You have a hard time keeping your identity secret. People have, even if they don't know exactly who or what you are, they have questions and they're curious. And if you've said anything about God, if you have a fish symbol on your car bumper, if you you bring in lilies for Easter, if you do anything that would connect you with the name of God in some way, people are going to be looking at you saying, that is what Christians are allowed to be. This is what they believe. I'll never forget sitting in a barber shop uh, with with a Muslim barber. And as I was sitting there trying to witness to him, he was witnessing to me. He was telling me how I was a sinner, how I, I was you know, unjust before Allah. And there was a young Muslim man that came in and sat down waiting. And as I was engaging interact with this man, I was interacting with him. He, 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 this young man over here started talking. And the older man who was, who was working on me, he said, we don't, some, he, he said something like, you're not one to talk. We don't want to hear what you say. In other words, you're not a good example of Islam. One Muslim telling the other one, you don't have a good testimony for Allah. People know who we are. We have a testimony. And you know, the truth is we we don't like it. I don't like it. Let me ask you this question. Are you embarrassed when someone says, points to your spouse and says, you married to him or her? I'm not. I'm happy. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I hit the lottery. Thank God, this is my wife. I'm really honored to be, you know, especially I say that in front of all the people, right? You know, no, but I, that's the way I feel. That's the way I feel. This is a blessing. Thank God. Have you stopped feeling that way about God? That it's a blessing to know God. You know what's amazing about God? A good spouse will not let you live your life in peace and ignore them. They will demand some kind of attention, or they will, they will give you some unrest or peace, and even in their spirit, will, it, will, it will come across, and you'll feel this angst in you. Why? Because a good spouse knows that you're supposed to communicate and be connected closely. How much more a good God, who knows that you were created to walk with him, and God is not going to let you have rest and peace and ignore him. He's going to pry you out of your locker. He's going to say, get out here in the open and let's talk. I I want you to be happy with me. I want you to not be ashamed of me. Christian, in the workplace, don't don't shrink into your little thing. And and then, you know, when, when someone says, I'm a Christian, yeah, but you know what? You don't know anything about the Bible. You know, you don't understand what it's like. I've been through some hard things. Oh, come off it. The very Christ that we serve died on a cross. We're called to suffer with him. But guess what? We're also called to rejoice because of his resurrection. We can have happiness in our life. If we can stop putting Jesus at 6250 South Avenue, locking the door, setting the alarm, and leaving him there until next Sunday. Let's bring him with us, because guess what? He's coming anyhow. He's in your heart. So stop trying to run from him. Hey, just recognize people are, are learning about Jesus from me, even if I don't open my mouth. And you say, that's overwhelming. No, no. He said, all power is given unto me. And he said, lo, I am with you always. Who has all power? Jesus. Who is with me all the time? Jesus. 
Two thumbs up. He's got all the power. He's always with me. You ever remember when you had, you know, you ever get into an argument or a scuffle or a fight with somebody, and then all of a sudden one of your friends comes around, and now you got a couple, and then you got another one, and now you got a posse. Now you're feeling like, bring it on, baby. Us against the world, we can take you down. Why? Because of who you had with you. You know, when you go into your workplace, you have more power than anyone in that building. You do. Why? Because you have Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe inside of you. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to, to worry about, you know, you're, you got a, some kind of cuticle here. You've got a little ingrown toenail. You've got a headache. You've got these problems, the financial. You know, somebody keeps putting stuff in your, on your, your desk, your work area. He wants you to be bothered with little tiny things because he knows how much power you're going to bring into that building every day. And his main goal is to keep you from realizing that power in your life. God, you know how much power you have in your home to live for God? More than enough power that you could ever use in trillion lifetimes because you have the Son of God himself in your home with you. If you will yield to him and follow him, can God fix your marriage? Okay, let's see. If both parties are willing, the answer is every time yes. Every time yes. Why? Because Jesus came out of the ground. Under his own power. And he's in you. Can he resurrect your marriage? Absolutely he can. What happens? We disconnect. We disconnect what we do and our actions from the consequences and how it affects other people around us. What what we need to understand is my sin does affect other people. David's sin caused people to devalue God. The world will determine the importance of our God by the measure of our devotion to him. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Thirdly, and lastly tonight. Notice it says, the child also, back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Thirdly, the consequences of sin will hurt innocent people. It will hurt innocent people. The child here is not the guilty party, but the child is the one that's going to die. We're going to see next time where David pleads for the life of this child, but the consequences of David's sin are as real as the new baby that came out of the adultery. They're real. Someone is going to be hurt innocent, uh, that is innocent. What, how is that going to be in your life? Well, the sin that you commit, the sin that I commit, has an effect on people around us. And what do we say? Well, I went through worse when I was growing up. Well, they're tough. They'll get over it. Children are resilient. We say these things to make ourselves feel better about the fact that we are hurting innocent people in our lives. You know, dad's got an attitude problem today. Well, that's just dad. You know, he works long hours and he has, he has a right to be a jerk. Mom's just really struggling, you know. It's just, it, it, she just, she's, just have, she's just going through a hard time. And so she can be an absolute witch. You see how we excuse ourselves? And guess what? What we say sometimes is that, 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 that 
I'm only hurting them as bad as they hurt me. Be careful with that attitude. Be careful with that mindset. Because with that mindset, you develop calluses that will actually help you to hurt innocent people. What did this child do to anyone? We're against abortion here at Hope Baptist Church. Why? Even in the case of rape or incest. Why? Because that child who was born as a result of rape or incest did not commit rape or incest. They didn't do anything. They're innocent. Why kill a child because of someone else's sin? And yet, here we have the child dying as a result. A prayer for forgiveness. David's prayer for forgiveness. Was it answered or unanswered? It was answered. God said, I forgive you. But David's prayer to remove the consequences of his sin was not answered. God said, I will not remove the consequences of your sin. And this is, I'm telling you guys, this is where we've got to learn more about our God. This is why people who criticize the doctrine of, in, of eternal security, they criticize it because they say, well, if I believe that, I could live any way I wanted to live. And we say, well, no, you're already living that way. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. God is, he saved me and I'm saved forever. And that is true. But there's another side of God that we don't always remember. And that is, as much as God is merciful, God is just. As much as God smiles upon you, he frowns on your sin. And if you say, I don't like that kind of God, you don't like the God of the Bible. You have a God that you've made up in your own mind. The consequences of your sin will hurt innocent people. And it's very important to remember that because we will get bitter or hardened against the Lord because we think, God, I thought you were merciful. I thought you were ho- that you were forgiving, and he is. But concurrent, running alongside, one rail is forgiveness. The other rail is consequences as far as going through life. You can always know that you are forgiven by a holy God, but you cannot remove the other rail. You're going to barrel down this railroad track and you're going to have consequences that come along with it. The result of our repentance is that we are right with God. But God making everything right because we repented is not part of the package deal. You say, this is a, this is a really discouraging, depressing message. Well, it is, if, if, unless you realize that it's true, and if you go forward with it, you will stop blaming God for the things that you did. You'll, start, you'll stop being mad at God for consequences that have fallen on your head. You say, God, why don't you remove all of that? Here, here, here's, a, here, here's something to thank God for. Thank you for letting me in heaven, even though I have done all of these things. Thank you for forgiving me eternally, for giving me a spotless robe of righteousness in your son. Thank you for the gift of salvation, even though I have committed these great sins. When the devil comes along and your flesh says, God should be nicer, I don't understand why all this. You say, hey, shut up. Thank God he forgave you and he gave you eternal life. Stop whining, Christian. I told you it was a heavy message. He's going to help you through the sorrows that you created. But you are going to have to go through them. You are going to have to go through them. A man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. That's our God. He is is a comforter 
He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And you're going to need all of those promises and more as you go through the valley. You're going to need those. What should you do? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the God of the word and trust in the word of the Lord. Don't despise his chastening hand. Don't question his love when you're going through this. Whatever might come your way, you can say along with the psalmist what's said in Psalm 103. Let's look at that passage. No matter what, you can say this, Psalm 103. Look at verse 10. Psalm 103.10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. How do I know that? Because you're still alive. He's been gracious to you. He's allowed consequences. He's allowed heartaches. Trouble and sorrow, setbacks, discouragement, great weights in your life. But he has not dealt with you after your iniquity. If you could see God's side of the the ledger book, you would see where a lot of that guilt and punishment, he went ahead and transferred it over on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In some ways... You and I have gotten off scot-free. But if there is consequence, if there is a fine that you have to pay, maybe a literal fine, maybe an emotional fine, maybe a relational fine, don't complain and whine to God and say, this is not fair. I thought we were supposed to be joyful. I thought we were supposed to have peace in our hearts. And No, 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 no. Don't, don't put that on God. That's just a result of what you did. But I'm going to end with a, with a note of joy. Go to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. When you're young, you can't imagine the thought of dying. But there are some here tonight, perhaps, for whom death would be a welcome release. In some small way, you look forward to everything being over. You still want to live and you still want to enjoy this world, but man, you're looking forward to when it's all over with. I'm happy to tell you tonight there's a day that's coming. Look at the the, the book of Revelation, verse 21. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful high priest said, There's coming a day 
when all the consequences of your sin are, be, are going to be completely wiped away. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more remembering the old days. You'll look back to see how be it, and it's gone. Completely gone. Completely wiped away. Why? The place you committed those sins is not even there anymore. The earth is gone. It's a new earth and a new heaven and a God that's been with you all along. Christian, don't get discouraged when you have to bear consequences. Remember, you are a human being. You're you're walking in the path of all the humans before you. Yes, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins, but you've got a weight to carry. But there's coming a day when you're going to take that weight and you're going to throw it off for eternity. And you will never have to be sorry again. Don't let the devil tell you that you'll always bear this. Take him to Revelation chapter 21 and show him. This is what God said. He said, he is true and faithful. Hey, listen, Christian. How about this? Instead of trying to focus on getting rid of all the consequences, how about just crane your neck up even further to the God who said, one day I'm going to make all things new. And that same God who said, I love you and I accept you in my son. And in in my son, you are righteous. You've never committed a sin. And take a breather from this wicked world and all your problems and trials and kneel before your maker and say, God, thank you that I have a portal directly up to your throne where I can feel clean and washed and holy and pure, never having committed a sin. Thank you for that. And thank you that you go with me into the workaday world where it's dog eat dog. I don't have to live with that spirit because I am being supplied by the spirit of grace directly from the throne of God. And if you'll let God carry you through that day, yes, you'll have to carry those weights and sins, but don't forget your savior carried your sins and he never committed them. He was guilty, found guilty before God of things he never did. Is it too much for you to carry the weight of things that you did? You can with the power of Jesus Christ, remembering that one day he will make all things new. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight. We're going to have a moment of prayer and time of invitation. And I want to ask you tonight, are you carrying the weight of consequences in your life? Does the devil tell you on a regular basis You're worthless. Do other people in your life drag you down because of who you used to be and what you used to do? Oh, Christian, tonight, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Let's stand tonight as the piano plays. The altar is open.